Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. Hope you have your Bibles. Let me encourage you to find Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter number 21. We're going to pick up in verse number 17. Acts chapter 21, verse number 17. If you are our guest again, uh, I've already brought my greetings. I just want to say how grateful I am that you're with us here. Thank you for being with us. Um, I am just delighted that you're here. Had a wonderful, wonderful testimony come to my attention uh, last week from a dear precious guest and if they're in that in this service uh, I'm not going to call your name and embarrass you but uh, they just said we haven't it's been a long time since we've been to a church that preaches the Bible and uh, that's very important to me I, I want us to make sure that when we leave this place you know I wasn't on my high horse I'm pointing to the word of the living God. God gave us this book for a reason. And it doesn't do any good sitting in the back of our car with the pages turning up on it. What does good is for us to look at it, hear it, listen to what the Word of God says, and then implement the Word of God in our lives and flesh out the truths of Scripture. And here we find ourselves in Acts chapter 21. We've been going through this book. We're coming to a close uh, of this wonderful book. And it's his third, it's Paul's third missionary journey. Now remember the overarching theme here in this book. Remember what's happening here. Luke wrote the, the book of Acts. The same Luke that wrote the gospel of Luke. And Luke wrote this to tell a man by the name of Theophilus that Jesus Christ really is who he says he is. And he wrote this to say, I want you to look how the word of God has come, come to us and is spreading all over the world because Jesus Christ really, truly is the Messiah. And so in doing so, uh, he tells the story of Paul. Uh, we see Peter in the first half of Acts, Paul in the latter half of Acts, and in this latter half, in this ending section here as we're coming to the close of the book of Acts, from verse 21 all the way to uh, chapter 28, it's all, really, it's all one section. Now, it is impossible for me to preach all of those chapters uh, today. As a matter of fact, it's impossible for me to preach the section that I want to preach today. Uh, however, I'm going to do my best to give you what the Word of God says in this text and hopefully implement it in our lives. When you look at this passage of Scripture, you will notice that Paul has been doing everything in his power to get this offering that he's collected over a five-year period on his third missionary journey back to Jerusalem. And he's hoping to get this offering to Jerusalem in such a way that it will express and show unity of the brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ for the church universally. That is to say that when it comes to God, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there is no Synthike, there is no, there's no other, there's nobody else. It is just humanity. Jesus died for the sins of the world, not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, but for everybody, Jesus died for whosoever will can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
And so Paul clearly understands that. The Jerusalem council, remember, back in Acts, in earlier passages of Scripture, the Jerusalem council agreed. They said, yes, absolutely, the, the, the Gentiles come to Jesus Christ by grace. The only thing we want to encourage those Gentiles is that they would keep themselves from things that have been offered to idols, that they don't drink the blood that have, from something that's been strangled, and that they keep themselves from sexual immorality. Those were the three things that were stumbling blocks to the Jews, and those were the three things they communicated at Jerusalem Council that they wanted the Gentiles to make sure they paid very special attention to because it could make people stumble and not receive Jesus Christ as Messiah. So Paul is taking this offering back to Jerusalem. I want you to notice what happens because this passage of Scripture has caused an uproar in religion today around the world. Notice what the Bible says beginning in verse number 17. The Scripture says, And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. Now let me stop and say something parenthetically right here. The Scripture says that the brethren received them gladly. That's born-again children of God. Those are Jewish believers, Messianic Jews, Jews that have trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. So they received him gladly, happy that he made it back to his home church. Verse 18. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders that were present. Now, James, Peter, they were the pastors of this church. And they're going to meet with them. Verse number 19. And when he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done, uh, 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 which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. Would be so good if we just stopped right there. Uh, they just need to spend a little time glorifying the Lord. This is where Paul presents the offering to the church, and they are so excited and so grateful and so thankful. They're rejoicing and they're praising God. But there's that conjunction, and notice what the Scripture says. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. If you have your pens, pencil, lipstick, mascara, sharpie, whatever you write with, I would underline that word zealous. Because here are some Jews that are zealous for the law. That is the law of Moses. And they are so upset because some of these were not in the Jerusalem council when they talked about the Gentiles coming to Christ and they're just flat mad that the Gentiles are coming into the temple and they're feeling like the temple's being defiled. Watch what happens here. Notice verse 21. The Bible says, But when they, these zealous Jews for the law of Moses, or when they uh, had been informed that you... Teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. The Bible says, continuing in verse 23, we have four men 
who have taken a vow. Now let me stop and say about the vow. This vow is the vow of the Nazarite. It's the same vow that Paul took that he got in so much trouble over. Verse 24, he says, James says, Take these four men to be purified, and you go with them, and pay their expenses so that they may have their heads shaved, and that they may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from the things offered to idols, from blood, from the things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Again, that's Acts 15. That's when the Jerusalem Council met. James is reiterating that. Verse 26. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce uh, the uh, expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should should be made for each one of them. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing Paul in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and late to lay hands on him and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. That's the temple. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they have previously seen Troophanus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed. And the people ran together, seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison of all Jerusalem that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. And let me stop right there and say this parenthetically. So Rome is occupying Jerusalem right now during this season. Rome is occupying Jerusalem. There are these towers on the corners of Jerusalem. And within these towers, the Romans would sit and overlook the city. And whenever there was an uproar, they would, they would go right into action. That's exactly what happened here in verse 31. They're up there. They call the commander. The commander looks down, sees an uproar. They send a legion of garrisons down there to get Paul. Paul, I'm going to be honest with you, had that not happened, Paul would be, be dead right there in Jerusalem. The scripture tells us, though, in verse 32, he immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some cried another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken to the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying, Away with him! Away with him! Away with him! May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. When you look at this text, you see three different scenes. There are three scenes here. 
Uh, and I want to go ahead and give them to you because uh, I don't have a lot of points here. I just have these three. Uh, we're not even putting them up on the screen today. Uh, but before I give them to you, let me just say this. In order to understand Acts chapter 21 all the way to Acts chapter 28, in order to understand this text, we have to understand Paul's philosophy of ministry. How did Paul look at ministry? That was very important because we see that practiced right here in the text. And it's one in which that would benefit us if we adopted his philosophy in regards to reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what was Paul's philosophy? In order to see it, the first thing you got to do is turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul wrote to Timothy while he was in Rome under house arrest. He wrote him to, Paul, to Timothy. And as Paul wrote to Timothy, listen to what he said in chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1. He said, you, Timothy, therefore, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one entangleth, or is entangled in the warfare, entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Listen to me very carefully. One of the philosophies of ministry is that Paul thought he was a soldier for Jesus Christ. He said, I am a soldier in the army of the Lord. And I want to please him who enlisted me. And that who enlisted him? Jesus Christ. I've been enlisted by Jesus Christ. How was he enlisted? He received Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. Paul looked at himself as a soldier. So here on this Veterans Day, as we honored the veterans of the United States of America in their military service, I want to bring to you that you, dear friend, as a Christian, you are in the army of the Lord. You're a soldier for Jesus Christ. And being a soldier of Jesus Christ, you must endure hardship. Hardship will come. Difficulties will come. It's not that you get saved and receive Christ as Savior and everything is just okay. You will still be ridiculed. You'll still have problems. You'll still have difficulties. You'll still have heartaches. You'll still have people die in your life. But God, who in his great sovereignty sent the Holy Spirit to us in the book of Acts so that when we receive Christ as Savior, we are indwelt of the Holy Spirit and have the power to overcome sin and to be, and to be fighting from victory, not for victory. And so Paul looked at himself and says, I'm a soldier. You're a soldier too, Timothy. Endure these hard times. But not only did he see himself as a soldier. I want you to show you a second part of his philosophy of ministry. And it's found in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. See if you can find that. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. Notice what Paul says again in his philosophy of ministry. Notice what he says here. He says in chapter 9, in verse number 19, For though I am free from all men, 
I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Now, let me just stop right there and say this parenthetically. What he's talking about is winning people to Jesus Christ. He's talking about evangelism. He's talking about winning people to Christ and making disciples. So he says here, I'm free from all men. That is to say, I don't have to submit to any cultural uh, rights or religions. I don't, I, don't, I don't submit myself to any of that. I'm free from all the rights that are an accompaniment of traditional religion. I am free in Jesus Christ. Verse 20. And so he says, uh, that I might have a servant to all, that I might be a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law towards God, but under the law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker of it with you. Paul is telling the church at Corinth, I am free from any rights. But in order for me to win people to Jesus Christ... I want to become all things to all people. So I will willingly submit myself to the culture of the Jews in order to win the Jews. I will submit myself to the culture of the Gentiles in order to win the Gentiles. Now, does that mean that he's willing to do anything? I mean, will he get drunk to win somebody to Christ? No. No. Did you see what he said there in the text? He said those are that are without the law, but we're not without the law of Christ. We are under the law of Christ. That is the law that dwells inside of us in consistency with the Holy Spirit of God to know right from wrong. He's saying, I will not sin to win people to Christ. I will not cast pearls among the swine, but I will submit myself to a culture so that I can win them to Jesus Christ. This is what's illustrated in Acts chapter 21. Paul is going to submit himself to the culture of the Jews with the intention of winning the Jews to Jesus Christ. Paul can do this because he is Jewish. And when he looks at the Jewish rites and the Jewish rituals, he sees that as pointing to Jesus Christ. He sees it as a beautiful opportunity and a beautiful illustration to say, Jesus fulfilled that. Jesus fulfilled that. And so this issue that they're accusing him of, of him saying that the Jews cannot be circumcised or should not be circumcised, while that is true in in essence, what Paul is literally saying is that the circumcision does not occur on the ritual of the body. It occurs in the heart when you receive Jesus Christ. And so we're seeing that in this text there are three scenes. The first scene is found in chapter uh, 21, verses 17 through 26. This scene is in the church. And then it transitions in verse number 27 and verses 27 through 30. What you see there is another scene. That second scene is the culture. So you have the church, you have the culture, and then you've got a third scene. 
That third scene starts in verse number 31. It runs all the way to verse number 36. This scene has to deal with the commander. So there are three scenes when you look at Acts chapter 21. The church, the culture, and then the commander. All three of these scenes have the same ending. Conflict in the church. Conflict in the culture. Conflict with the commander. What's the point, preacher? The point is simply this, brothers and sisters. If we're going to be involved in church, there's the potential for conflict. If we're going to be in a culture, and we are, there's going to be a potential for conflict. And when it comes to leadership, there's the potential for conflict. What I'm saying is Christianity equals conflict. And the conflict that Paul is dealing with here is the conflict of souls. Whether or not people will go to heaven when they die. Muslims bring up this passage of Scripture all the time. And the reason why they bring it up, because James and the Jerusalem church really wanted Paul to be a good witness to the Jewish disciples and the unbelieving Jews. And the apostle Paul participated in the Jewish temple sacrifices. And it seems that by this participation that it contradicts the teaching principle that Christ is the final sacrifice for sin. And so Muslims look at this and they simply say, look, here's Paul and James and Peter they all did something for their salvation. Yes, they trusted Christ as Savior, but they also participated in this vow. So in order for us to be saved today, we too got to participate in these vows. Brothers and sisters, might I add that this passage of Scripture may seem difficult because of that, but we must understand contextually you do not take a text and remove it uh, from its context and say this is a doctrine. This is not a doctrinal text. As a matter of fact, uh, this passage of Scripture from, from chapter 21 all the way to chapter number 28, this whole thing is a historical narrative. When it comes to historical narratives in the Bible, and this is why this is such a strange sermon that you might be hearing and doesn't have point one and then subpoints point two, then subpoints and point three and subpoints, because in a historical narrative, this historical narrative is giving information about what really happened. And what really happened here was that Paul, in his philosophy of ministry, knew that he had to get to Jerusalem. He knew God was going to use his coming to Jerusalem in some way to get him to Rome. He knew difficulties, hard times, trials. He knew all of those things were happening. He knew that he was going to be in danger. He knew that he was going to be in trouble. But it did not trump the goal of his ministry. To win people to Jesus Christ. So he knew even when there was a conflict in the church, the goal was to win people to Jesus. He knew when there was conflict in the culture that the ultimate goal was to win people to Jesus. And he knew the conflict that existed in the commander and in leadership there in Rome was to get the Romans to Jesus. He was doing everything in his power to get people to Jesus. And so when you look at the teaching passages 
of Jesus being the sacrifice once for all, you cannot ignore them. Romans chapter 6 verse 10 is very plain. As a matter of fact, uh, let, let's find that. Romans chapter number 6. It's worth looking at because of the structure of the passage that we're in. Uh, Romans chapter number 6. L- look at what the Bible says in verse number 10. Paul says to the Romans, For the death that he died, talking about Jesus Christ, The death that Jesus Christ died. He died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So we're finding here in the text that Paul was consistent all through his teachings. Along with Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse verse, uh, 18 again says the same thing. That Jesus died once for all. Then why is James, why is Peter, and why is Paul, why are they participating in these religious rituals? Why? Because watch this. Paul seizes it as an opportunity to say this is a shadow. Of the reality that Jesus did. So Paul sees it as a sermon illustration. And when you read through the whole book of Acts. Acts chapter 21 to to chapter 28. You see that there's going to be two more occasions. When Paul ultimately says look. I've got to tell you about the real Messiah. He is Jesus Christ. So at first, in the surface reading of this, it seems like it's a difficult issue that uh, this passage is uh, also, if you would, the basis of some scholars uh, believing that uh, these, uh, these Jewish believers had a different gospel and a different belief system than the Paulinian Christians. However, I beg to differ because in Acts chapter 15, everybody was united. The Jewish church was united. So what do you see here, Shane? What do you see in this text uh, that's causing so much problems? I I think probably one of the major things you see in this text has to deal with culture. And it's the same problem we have today in today's culture. So what what are you talking about, Pastor? Can you be a Muslim and practice Muslim, not religious rituals, but Muslim culture? Can you practice Muslim culture and be a Christian? Can you be a Jew and practice Jewish customs and be a Christian? Can you be a Western Christian and practice Western culture that we live in? I believe what we're seeing here in the text is that Paul is saying that you cannot be a Christian And an Islamist. You serve a different God. But you can live in that area of culture. Be a Christian. And not have to wear a suit and tie like we do in the West. I think Hudson Taylor. Who was a missionary in 1855. Gives us the most perfect example. Of what this text is talking about here. Hudson Taylor in 1855. Uh, went over to Shanghai, China on 18 separate occasions to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every time he arrived, he had an overcoat, a black overcoat on, and he would preach in that black overcoat. At the end of the sermon, the people would walk out going, that's the black devil, and they would walk out. 
It's a true story. He got alone and he got praying and he got to thinking about what can I do to win these people in Shanghai to Jesus Christ where they don't see that I'm a devil. So he got rid of his coat. He went to the store and he bought a a traditional Shanghai clothing. Then he went to the barber and he had his hair cut all the way back like they had their hair cut. And then he let his hair grow in a ponytail and it went all the way down to his back. And then he stood up and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ after practicing their culture. And he began to win inland China for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Person after person after person after person after person come to know Christ as Savior. This is what Paul is saying. I became all things to all people that I might win some. To the Jew, I became a Jew. I practiced the customs of the Jew to point to Jesus Christ. To the Gentiles, I came in as a Gentile. So what does that mean if he came in as a Gentile? That literally means that he was not afraid to eat the food that was sacrificed to idols because he saw an opportunity to tell those, those, those Gentiles, this is not God's food. God's food is you. God wants you. God desires you. He wants you to come to Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. He saw the opportunities to share Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord. So neither James nor Paul, in regards to requiring the Gentiles to do any of these things, they never required them to do any of these things, but there's this huge conflict that was occurring in regards to what are we to do? And Paul's saying, I'm becoming all things to all people that I might win some to Jesus Christ. So we see 1 Corinthians chapter 19 uh, put in practice here. Jews who have come to believe Christ as the Messiah are Messianic Jews. Messianic Jews do not celebrate Christmas like we do. Messianic Jews do not put up Christmas trees. They don't decorate Christmas trees. They don't do that stuff. We do it here in the West. There's this huge big debate going on today whether or not you're right or wrong to do that and the basis and the origins and all the rest of this stuff in regards to these issues. And we're learning from this passage of Scripture that, look, as a Western Christian, we participate in Western culture. In our Western culture, we have a tree. Do we think that tree stands for the Nork God? No. In a tree, we put a star on the top, a top or a star. Do we think that star is to deal with uh, some ancient religion in the worship of stars? No. As Western Christians, we look at that and we see that and we say that that is a symbol. That helps us remember the star that Jesus was born under the night of his birth. Uh, The presents that we give are a symbol and a representation of the greatest present that has ever been given from God to us. And that is Jesus. And we participate in these things. Why? Because we're Western Christians. Are we wrong? Not according to the Word of God. Is it wrong then for Jewish believers, Messianic Jews, is it wrong then for them to not do the same thing? No, it's not wrong. They do it their way. 
But the most important thing is clearly understanding, and Paul deals with this all through the book of 1 Corinthians. The freedom that we have in Jesus Christ is given to us by Jesus Christ, and the freedom that we have is to bring Him glory, to bring Him honor, and to bring Him praise so that we can win others to Jesus Christ. We don't do this because we are being saved. We do it because we're saved. And so Messianic Jews do what they do because they are saved. It's a huge issue today uh, in, uh, uh, in Asian culture uh, in regards especially to Muslims. Indonesia, I'm thinking about in particular since I've, I've been there. And uh, I, I want to see those brothers and sisters come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. What I do not want to see is to them become westernized and do it the way we do it. I remember going to Uganda. I'll give you this illustration. I remember going to uh, Uganda, and they took us up into an area where people had never seen Jesus, never heard of Jesus Christ. They've never even seen a white person. The parents would tell the children that white people eat people. Guess where they got that? They got it from the Lord's Supper. And not understanding it. And so these people were teaching their children that if the white man comes, the white man's coming to eat your kids. So you can imagine the kind of reception we got when we pulled up. We pulled up and got out of the car and I'll never forget it. Those kids looked at us, started screaming. I mean screaming and running up the hill. And it took one of our interpreters to go in and said, you guys got to stay here first. And went up there and talked to them and tried to help them understand that we weren't there to eat them. But we were there to share the greatest story of all. And we gathered everybody together and we sat down and the kids wanted to touch us and see if it would come off. And oh, it was just, it was so neat. It was a lot so, so precious. And what brought us together was Jesus Christ. I can remember leaving that day after sharing the gospel. And many people received Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. And the translator missionary said, I'll be back up in this area to disciple them. Great glory came to God today. Oh, brothers and sisters, we want them to retain their culture. But we want them to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. So God, in His great wisdom allows for Acts chapter 21 to take place where Paul, in fact, does take these four men who have taken this vow. He pays for them to be purified. They shave their heads and all of these. And the Jews are still irate and upset, those that have never received Christ as Savior. As a matter of fact, look at verse 27 in the culture aspect, in the cultural section of this. The Bible says that the Jews from Asia, these are not Messianic Jews, these are Jews in the text. The Bible says, now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing Paul in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and to lay hands and laid hands on him. Here we see in the text in verse 27, Christianity oftentimes brings conflict. This was not unusual to Paul. Paul has seen this time and time and time and time again. 
What hurt Paul the most was to see the retractions of James and Peter as they withdrew themselves to protect the church of Jesus Christ as they took Paul and began to beat him with the intentions of killing him. We know that in A.D. 70, the temple will fall. We know that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, when he was crucified, the veil in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom. We know that Jesus Christ entered in the new covenant. Remember, between uh, the renting of the, of the veil, when the veil was ripped in two, between that, when that happened, and A.D. 70, that is a transitionary period that Paul is living in, convincing the Jews through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ truly is the Messiah, and this temple stuff is going away. It's going away. And we see that happen in A.D. 70. As the temple falls utterly, just as Jesus said it was. So in closing this morning, there are three principles that we can implement in our lives today by looking at this text. Principle number one. Biblical Christianity results in cultural Diversity. When you think about the word diversity, you cannot help but think about the culture we live in. And the diversity has been uh, so, um, uh, it's really been turned to a negative. This is not the negative form of diversity. This is the biblical form of diversity. He's simply saying that as Western Christians, by way of application, as Western Christians, we do not participate in Jewish customs like Messianic Christians do. Who is right? We both are. We both glorify God. Again, I point to Hudson Taylor, the 1855 missionary, who upon adopting the tradition of Shanghai, began to win people to Jesus Christ. Biblical Christianity results in cultural diversity. Number two, our precedence as Christians should always be towards others coming to know the Lord. Please don't lose that. Please receive that with humility and and a humble heart to win someone to Christ. Our precedence as Christians should always be towards others in coming to know the Lord. In this text, Paul exposed his philosophy of ministry. 1 Corinthians 9. He became all things to all people. He was willing to do what he needed to do in order to win others to Jesus Christ without compromising the gospel. Brothers and sisters, I cannot stress that enough. I'm telling you what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying that we need to have the fog machines and we need to have a rock concert up here on Sunday morning. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm, what I'm referring to is meeting people where they are, meeting people on their level, reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you, uh, can you put that in an illustration that I might be able to receive it a little bit better, Pastor? I, I, I can. I, I remember growing up, my, my pastor had a big heart for alcoholics. I mean, a huge heart. For alcoholics. You can't do this today. I'm telling you, you can't do it today. But he did it uh, back in the 80s. Uh, He had a partnership with the local bar. The local bar was called the Fuzzy Duck, Jeff. The Fuzzy Duck. So he knew the owner and he talked to the owner, tried to win the owner to Christ. 
And he just told the owner, he said, look, I know some people can get a little rowdy down there at the Fuzzy Duck. He said, uh, uh, how about uh, whenever somebody gets a little rowdy, uh, instead of calling the police, why don't you call me? He said, okay, I'll do that a few times, see how that works. And so he would. And on Saturday night, Friday night, Saturday night, my pastor would get a phone call. He'd drive down to the Fuzzy Duck, and he'd get those alcoholics, and he'd put them in his car. He'd drive them back onto the church campus. And on our church campus, we had uh, several trailers way back in the back part of the property. You couldn't see them at the front of the church. They were in the back. He had four of them, three or four of them. And again, you can't do this today, but his goal was to win them to Jesus Christ. Well, he couldn't do it while they were drunk, so he'd put them in these trailers and padlock them in there until Sunday. So he'd go out there on, on Sunday morning and get them dressed, he'd get them a shower, get them cleaned up, and he'd bring them with him to church. I mean, it wasn't uncommon. He'd see him come marching in church. He'd have three or four of them with They'd sit on the front row and they would listen. And uh, uh, they would uh, live there on the campus. They'd do all the work at the church. They did the cleaning. They mowed the grass. They, did the, uh, they, they took care of everything there uh, at the church. And I can just tell you story after story after story of those men that received Jesus Christ as their Savior, and he totally rad radically changed their lives. So, well, was there ever a time where they would s slip away? Yeah, there's one or two, I can tell you, that it just, didn't, it just didn't work for them. But what I'm saying is that my pastor met them where they were and loved them to a point to where they could receive Jesus Christ as Savior. He never compromised his morals. He never compromised his values. He never took a drink. But he won those alcoholics to Jesus by helping them clean up their lives and see that Jesus is the only thing they need. We see that our precedence should be that Christians always come to know the Lord. Number three, here's the third one. Our commitment to the Great Commission must be greater than any persecution. Our commitment to the Great Commission should be greater than any persecution. Beginning in verse number 37, we're going to see Paul finally get an opportunity after he realizes who he is. He's been beat half to death. We're going to see him given, he has an opportunity to share. And the persecution that he went through did not sway him from his ultimate goal. And that is to tell them about Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I would say this concerning this text and concerning our culture. We're not getting any better. It's getting worse. We must not let the culture move us out of the area of sharing the greatest news of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I was in Indonesia, I went to the Freedom Mosque. The Freedom Mosque is the largest mosque in the world. At the Freedom Mosque, it's not lawful for Gentiles or Westerners, or non-Islamic uh, religious people to come in. You can't do it. It's against the law. I can remember walking by the door, and I stopped at the door, and I remember looking in. I peeped around the corner and looked in there. There's a guard standing right there. The guard turns to me and says, Do you want to go in? To which I, I looked at him and I said, Really? He said, Yeah. Do you want to go in? And I said, yeah, I, I, I do want to go in. And he said, go get your team, whoever you're with. 
Meet me here in five minutes, and I'll take you in. Well, I had two thoughts. My first thought was, I'm going to get to see the inside of this mosque. This is going to be great. And then immediately my second thought was, I'm going to die. <laughs> They're going to take me in here and put me in a back room. This is it. I'm going to be a martyr for Jesus. I am going to disappear in this mosque. I went and got the team, and the missionary was dumbfounded. He said, are you kidding? We're going to go in? He said, I've never been. So I've been serving here for a long time. He said, what did you say? I said, I didn't say anything. I just stood there and looked. And he said, do you want to go in? He said, well, they must have changed the rules. Let's all go. So we all went in there, and we got there. And he said, in order for us to go in, you've got to respect our religion. And I said, okay. What does that mean? He says, you cannot ask questions. I'll tell you everything that's going on. And you have to take your shoes off. Because they thought they were walking on holy ground. Now, do you think that was a deal breaker in getting me to go inside? No. For that moment, I adopted their custom. I took my shoes off. And I kept my mouth shut. And I walked through that mosque and seen things that were absolutely incredible at the end of the journey he like we would do if someone come and visit our church asked us if we wanted to convert to which none of us said yes we all said no and we got to have a little bit of a conversation about Jesus Christ and his messiahship he didn't he did not receive Christ as Savior but the point I'm making is this because we adopted their culture for just a moment took our shoes off kept our mouth shut listened and walked, it opened a door of opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are you willing to do to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? When I read this passage, I like to think about our trunk or treat. I like to think about um, our uh, uh, wild game dinner. I like to think about all the big things that we do and have done in the past to become all things to all people just so we can win one to Jesus Christ without compromising the gospel of our Lord and Savior. My, my point is just simply this to you, dear friend. How can you apply that to your life? I think a beautiful illustration is the church as a church member that we have in here this morning. and I would never in a million years embarrass anybody. That is not my goal. But my dear, dear sister and her sweet husband have adopted this philosophy in, this, in their business in graceful gospel dance. What are we willing to do to get the gospel to this area? That's right. And they have internalized this principle right here. And I have, so, have seen so much fruit come out of that process and that mindset. And so I just want to say thank you, Tammy. Thank you, Graceful Gospel Dance. Thank you for being an example of Acts chapter 21. Becoming all things to all people. I can remember this. i got to close. I'm out of time. I'm done. I am, but i got one more story. Tammy, uh, I'll, I'll share this. And with them. I can remember the first time my mother-in-law ever went to uh, a program. Well, she grew up very, very strict 
you know, you can't dance a Southern Baptist. Can I, can I get a witness? I mean, that's really what I say. So you want to do this? Well, I might as well. I can't dance. I mean, that was, that's what I say. Uh, and so no dancing, no dancing. You can't, in fact, somebody asked that question about us, the, about our church. I said, well, y'all dance in the church? <laughs> Goodness gracious. Uh, the fact of the matter is, that's what we say. And that's the way that Miriam was raised. That's the way they were all raised. I can remember when the show was over, Tammy, getting in the car. My mother-in-law is bawling, bawling. She turns to my wife, her daughter, and says, I'm sorry. I never knew that could glorify God. And she apologized for being so legalistic. I'll never forget that. I'm telling you, people are watching us. And they want to see, is what we have to offer them real? Father, uh, I know this is a historical narrative, and it's so hard for me. That's probably not my strong suit is historical narratives. But uh, I thank you for it. And Lord, thank you for the lesson that we've learned from it. Help us to do whatever we need to do to reach a lost and dying world. And God, I pray that we'd stay true and stay strong and stay focused on the main thing in winning people to Jesus Christ. And Lord, today, if there's someone here and maybe they don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, and maybe they've been caught up in alcoholism, maybe they've been caught up in pornography, maybe they've been caught up in drug addiction and drug abuse, maybe they are struggling with anger issues or, or, or just complacency, God. In the name of Jesus, I pray that they would see that Jesus is the answer and that they don't have to clean themselves up first. They just need to come to Christ just as they are. And I pray that in doing so, we'll see people saved today. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we ask your blessings in Christ's name. Now, before I say amen and I close out this service, you might be here and maybe you are one of those ones struggling with where you're going to spend in eternity. Maybe you don't know. You're just like, I don't know where I'm going to go. I want to go to heaven, uh, but I I just don't know. I I don't know if I am. The Bible says, according to Romans chapter 10, that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, dear friend, I want to invite you today to call upon Jesus, repent of your sins, and put your faith in Christ. You say, well, how would I do that, preacher? How how would I do that? From your heart to God's heart, by faith, would you say something like this to the Lord? Right where you're sitting, would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you are the Messiah. And by faith this morning, I repent of my sins and I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more 
information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again, we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.